let's go ahead and grab a seat. Hey, my name is Byron. I get the great privilege to be able to serve here as the lead pastor. And today is one of my favorite days. You know why? No, it's not because of Time Change Sunday. No, today is the day that we get to start a brand new book of the Bible. Isn't that amazing? If you're new, this is what we do. Um, our bread and butter here at Redemption is we preach verse by verse through books of the Bible. And today we're opening up a new book called Second Peter. And I'll give you a hint where it's at. It's after First Peter, all right? It's Second Peter. And we're gonna do this study for four weeks and we're calling it Truth and Lies. For me, this is probably one of the most important series that I've preached in the seven years since we start redemption, because it's going to be culture making, it's going to be clarifying, and it will be defining for who we are and who we are going to be as a church. And I need to be honest and upfront with you from the very beginning is that there are some people in this series, you will get uncomfortable, that you might get offended. Don't wear flip-flops to church because you might get your toes stepped on. There's going to be people who are going to be upset about what I'm going to say, and at times, it's going to be pretty brutal. Like, raise your hand if you came here for a nice feel-good message today. Okay, put your hand down because you're at the wrong church. Because here today, we're going to introduce Second Peter, and I, I just got to let you know is that there will be some who will get offended. There will be some who might actually even leave this church over what we're going to discuss but I want you to know from the beginning that I am not here to impress people. I am here to preach the word of God. I'm not here for the opinions of man. I am here to be faithful to the word of God. And my warning up front is this. If this makes you uncomfortable, it's because you've been too comfortable for too long. We have an entire generation of Christians who have become comfortable, calloused, complacent to the point to where they have compromised their faith. That because they don't know what God's word says, they only know what the world says. And so anytime a pastor or a preacher stands behind a pulpit and he begins to preach the word of God with clarity and with conviction, people get offended and they say, pastor, you shouldn't talk about those subjects. You shouldn't teach those things in the church. And if we don't talk about it in the church, then people are going to hear about it from the world. In the meantime, everybody else is talking about these subjects, everybody except for the church, because we were raised in what is known as a seeker-sensitive movement, that for the last 20 years, the, the motto of the church has been, don't offend anybody. In the meantime, they've offended the Lord, that an entire generation has wandered away from the truth because pastors didn't preach the truth, because we were so worried about offending people, and in light of it, we ended up actually offending God. We were so sensitive to seekers that we forgot to be sensitive to the one who actually seeks and saves the lost. And so for us as a church, if we get uncomfortable when we're studying the book of Second Peter, I want you to know the reason why is because you've been too comfortable for too long. You say, Pastor, you shouldn't talk about things like this. Well, listen, as a pastor, my job is to be the shepherd of the flock. And even a good shepherd's got to shoot some wolves from time to time. Right. What we say is this, sheep get fed, goats get starved, wolves get shot. And so my job is to feed the sheep by preaching of the word of God, creating systems and structures to where you can grow in your faith. And people who come in, and if they are just taking and robbing and stealing and causing division, they are goats in which are to be starved. But then sometimes there are false teachers, false doctrines, heresies that creep into the church to be able to deceive, to distract, and ultimately to destroy the work of God. And when wolves come into the church, which is the message of 2 Peter, wolves don't get love, wolves get shots. 
Peter's gonna tell us about false doctrines and heresies. See, listen, in the fall, we did the book of 1 Peter. We called it Christians Are Crazy. I was gonna call this series Christians Are Still Crazy, but because of the things we covered, Instagram actually you know, blacklisted me and shadow banned me to where for three months, none of our church's social media posts actually showed up in people's for you suggested explore feed because we had bans on our own because of some of the content that we shared. And so we decided we were gonna outsmart the algorithm and change the name to Truth and Lies, but we're still gonna preach the same message. So what do we learn in 1 Peter? You can go back and listen to that series. I'll do a little setup. 1 Peter said, basically, there are trials in which as believers, we're gonna go through that the world hates us, but God has chosen us and that your job as a Christian is not to fit into the world, but rather to stand out and be different from the world, that you weren't called to fit in, but rather you were born again so that way you might stand out. And so when persecution comes, which it will, when people criticize you, make fun of you, cancel you, when people, they ostracize you. He says that we are to hold firm and stand faithful that we have received the truth of the word of God. That was first Peter. And then a couple of years go by and he, he, he gave a prophetic warning where he said this in verse 412, he says, fiery trials will come upon you. Fiery trials. Does it seem or feel like we're experiencing any fiery trials? Like, doesn't it feel like over the last couple of years, they just turned up the knob a little bit and it's got a little bit hotter? Okay, if not, it's because you're not paying attention. Listen, God's word is not just any word. This word is timeless. Therefore, it is always timely. And here's what Peter says. Peter says that the whole world is gone crazy. We have people fighting over politics, there's economic problems, there's persecution that is rising, there's sexual ethics that are being rediscussed and rediscovered and redefined. And then he says that the problems out in the world should not become problems in the church, that there's problems, we have the solution. But then all of a sudden, the problems outside in the world have crept in and infiltrated their way within the church. Because people did not know the word of God and the truth of God, they ended up believing the lies that had come from the world. And so his biggest fear came true. The church had become compromised. That believers were being led astray and they were no longer living in the truth of God, but rather they were believing in the lies that come from this world. The problems out there were no longer were problems in here. False teachers, heretics, wolves in shepherd's clothing infiltrated the church and they become, the church became complacent and therefore ignorant of the truth. Is this not happening in our society today? Okay, if you don't know, it's because you're not paying attention, right? It's probably because you don't have the internet, but don't get the internet or it's gonna make you mad. But let me go ahead and show you some photos of some things that, that are happening within the church today. Look at this picture right here. We have gay priests and entire denominations ordaining homosexual priests and performing homosexual marriages. How about, how about this one? A church in New York recently, they actually had a transgender drag show for children in church. So they had a drag show for kids in church. How about this one right here? We see that a Texas church hosts a drag queen reading story for children after the city officials tried to cancel it. So the rest of the city, they're like, hey, this is not good. We, we don't want to do this. And the church says, hey, we'll do it for you, right? And the church is the one who welcomed into to be able to have this drag show. Okay, you need to understand something. 
is that there's five pillars of human society, right? The first pillar would be family, education, governments, economics, and the church. Here's what, here's what the devil wants to do. He wants to infiltrate and take over all five because that's the way he can begin to destroy a nation. And what we see is this, this ideology has already infiltrated the academics, the school system, the economic system. That's why they have rainbow Oreos. That's why every single Twitter account is covered with a rainbow flag, right? Because it's infiltrated these ideologies. It comes into the, the, the economy. It comes into all these different, and the last bastion of hope is the local church. And now we see that these problems from 1 Peter have now come into the local church. That's the book of 2 Peter. Look, look what it says here. Here's this one. So every flag but the Jesus flag is featured on churches. How about this one? Church of England to consider use of gender neutral pronouns for God. So now they're debating, well, is God really a father or is he actually a mother? No, not, Jesus says, our father, no, 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 Jesus. It's wrong for you to assume God's pronouns. God has revealed himself and they're like, no, maybe we should remove he when referring to God. And then they begin to pray to the Holy Spirit as a woman and God as a woman, God as a mother. Church, this is the Church of England. Okay, what's this next one right here? Well-known Christian author begins to not only deconstruct, denounce the faith, but then he begins to host entire workshops where you can pay good money to where he can teach you how to deconstruct your faith. We're gonna talk about this in a few weeks about false prophets. And I want you to know something is that every time there's a false prophet, there's always profit to be made. And then we even have the pastor of one of the largest churches in America now who is certainly uncertain about his public position on homosexuality. When this gets into the evangelical world, it causes all sorts of destruction, devastation, and heresy that begins to creep into the church and it begins to lead people astray. Listen, if you're not uncomfortable, it's because you're, you become too comfortable. And the church has been too comfortable for too long. Listen, if you're here today, there is no more time for the church in America to just sing kumbaya, prom songs to Jesus, while the rest of the world is on fire and people are dying and going to hell, right? We can't just sit here and bow our head, close our eyes and pray a prayer anymore. We need Christians who are gonna stand on the word of God, who are gonna know the word of God, who are gonna be bold in their faith and bold when it comes to sharing their faith, who are gonna stand on the truth, who are gonna stand for their faith and who are gonna stand together as a church and a community on the truth of the word of God. We need Christians who instead of going woke are going to be awake and they're gonna wake up and be a light into the darkness, a salt to a flavorless generation and a city that is on a hill. We need to be the voice of sanity and reason to a world gone mad. We need more than anything to believe in the truth, to preach the truth, to stand on the truth, because if we don't stand for the truth, then we will fall for lies. You know, not everything is truth, right? You know, not everything is, is truth. People say, oh, it's my truth. You can't have your truth any more than you can have your own pronouns. People who say, this is my truth. Those are people who can't handle the truth. Therefore, they invent their own truth. I know this is not popular to say, but just because something is popular, it doesn't make you true. Here's the truth. There is heaven, there is hell. There is light, there is darkness. There is good, there is evil. There is angels and there are demons. There is God and there is Satan. Wait for this, hold on. There is male and there is female and there is truth and there is lies. 
And if we don't know the truth, then all we will know is their lies. Listen, in the end, it doesn't matter what people say. It only matters what God says. In the end, it doesn't matter what people post. The only thing that matters is what God wrote. In the end, it doesn't matter what people think about you. The only thing that matters is what God says about you when you stand before the throne on judgment day. And as your pastor, I would rather offend you than offend God. My job is to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. And if you are so worried about offending people, I would double check and reconsider that you're life might actually be offensive to God. If this makes you uncomfortable, good. It's time for you to wake up and get uncomfortable and to begin to build your life on the word of God. So here's what I'm gonna do. I'm about to do something that you might not have ever heard a preacher say is open up your Bibles. Okay. That's what we're going to do today. We're going to open up our Bibles and we're going to study second Peter. You excited to dive in for second Peter? Okay. If not, I'm doing it anyway. Here we go. But this is important. Here's what my sermon title today is this. Are you really saved? That's what we're going to talk about. Because in the next couple weeks, Peter, he's going he's to talk about some, some crazy things. And if you don't start here, then you're not going to understand anything else he's going to say after that. You know why? Because it's not going to make sense to you because you're not saved. You're not going to be able to understand or ascertain the implications and applications of this message if you do not have salvation to begin with. And so he's going to start with this. Are you actually saved? I want to say something. Is this sermon is not preaching to non-Christians. Okay, people are like, oh, the church is for non-Christians. Well, the church is actually for Christians. Non-Christians are welcome. But my job is to equip and to inspire you to live a holy and godly life. That's my job. And so non-Christians, you're welcome to listen to this. But I'm not talking about you. I'm talking to the people in the room who actually think they're saved, but they're not. Right? I'm talking to the people who are in church, but they may not be in Christ. That's who I'm talking about. I'm talking to, to people who might actually be deceived into thinking that they've received something that they actually don't have. My question for you is this, are you actually a Christian? And so Peter, he's gonna really lean into his church and he's gonna say, before anything else, it starts with Jesus, it ends with Jesus, make sure that you're in Jesus. Here, here's what he says, starting off. How do you know that you're saved? Number one, God works for you. Simon Peter, a servant of the apostle, Jesus Christ, to those who obtain faith and equal standing with ours by the righteousness. Circle that word, very important. Of our God, Savior Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. This week during my sermon prep, I wanted to understand a little bit of some of the lies that Christians believed. And so I looked up what I always do every year, Ligonier Ministries, and they do an annual state of theology in America, a massive survey where they interview evangelicals and they figure out what it is that they actually believe. And the results from 2022 were shocking to me. Here, here's what they found in 2022, that 26% of evangelicals reject the Bible as the authoritative word of God. Okay, so then what do you even build truth off of? Culture, morality, your good ideas? 38% believe that truth is a matter of personal opinion. 56% believe that God accepts worship of all other religions. 73% believe that Jesus was a created being. Not that he is God, eternally God, second member of the Trinity, but that he was actually made by God, a man who ascended into a godlike state. Just so you know, that's not Christian. 
43% believed that Jesus was not God. How can you be a Christian and not believe Jesus was God? Answer is you can't. 60% believe that the Holy Spirit is a force. 57% believe that humans are not sinful by nature. That's because they never served in children's church. <laughs> and I just want to be clear with you. Like those teachings are antithetical and heretical to the teaching of the word of God. But there was one number that was more surprising than anything else. And it's this one, that 56% believe that God accepts the worship of all religions. Listen, people will say all the time, you know, there's, there's, there's thousands of religions. How arrogant of it that Christians think that they're the only religion, that they have the truth. How arrogant of them. I like to get a little here, get a little there. I do a little Buddha, do a little Krishna. I study a little bit of this, a little bit of that. And then I pray to some rocks and I just make it all up myself, right? Yeah. Aren't all religions basically the same? No, my friends, there are not thousands of religions. There's only two religions, Christianity and everything else. Because fundamentally, the way in which a person is saved is completely different based upon the ideologies and systems. Here's how every other religion says that you are saved. Good works, good deeds, good vibes, good thoughts. And if you're a good person, then at the end of your life, maybe your good deeds will outweigh your bad deeds. And then God might accept you. That's why you have to pray this way, go to this place, you have to do these actions, give this much money, go on this pilgrimage, reincarnate, pay off your karmic debt. And if you post the right things on social media and you look good to others, then maybe you'll look good to God. You know what that is? That is a works-based righteousness. How are we saved? Righteousness. But whose righteousness is it? Yours? No. Jesus has all the righteousness. That the righteousness that saves us comes from the Lord Jesus. Like, you don't get it through good works. You don't get it through your college education. You can't order righteousness on Amazon with two-day delivery. No, righteousness only comes from Jesus Christ, the repentance of sin and trusting in him. And then here's what happens. He gives it to you as a gift. There's works righteousness, gift righteousness. And this is why Christianity is different than every other religion. Because every other religion would say, you have to make your way to God. Christianity says, you can't. Therefore, God has made his way to you. That Jesus comes, lives the perfect life that you never could live, died the painful death in your place. The death because of your sins. And then he conquered Satan, sin, hell, death, and the grave through the death, burial, and resurrection where he rules and reigns as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is not just a way. Jesus is the only way. Jesus is not just a God among gods. Jesus is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Alpha and the Omega, the author of the story. Jesus is not just a way. He is the only way. And here's what he says. No one comes to the Father but by me, that I am the way, the truth, the life, everything else is lies. No one comes to the Father but by me. So I'm asking you, dear Christian in this room, are you saved? Have you placed your trust in Jesus? Are you allowing Jesus to do the finished work for you on the cross? Have you surrendered your life to him? Have you turned from your sins? Are you trusting in him as your savior? Because righteousness only comes from Christ. Let Jesus do the work for you. Number one, God works for you. Number two is that God works in you. Look what he says next. He says, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. This is amazing. 
through the knowledge of him who is called to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us the precious and very promises so that through them you might become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. The moment you become a Christian, not only does God work for you, now you receive the divine nature, the divine power, the Holy Spirit, God begins to work in you. What does this mean now? It means that God, very God, is active inside of your life, helping you discover the truth and learn to live in godliness, to overcome sin and temptation, and to live a life that you never could before, where the old is gone and the new has come. This is what God, the Holy Spirit, does. And it's amazing. But you know what else is amazing to me? That some people don't believe this. It's amazing to me that, that there are some people who, one, they would disagree that God works for us and they would think, I have to do all the work. That's a heresy known as Pelagianism, by the way. Okay, there's gonna be a lot of heresies I'm gonna say over the next couple of weeks. Just write that one down, Pelagianism. Thinking that you have to earn your salvation through your good works. But there's another heresy that's found in this. And this is where people would think, well, because I'm saved, I don't have to do any work. That's called antinomianism which is also a heresy. It means against the law, against the word, against the commands of God. They would say, because I am saved, I just get to go do whatever I want now because God's grace and God's love is all for me and therefore the rules don't apply to me and so I just can live how I want, when I want, do whatever I want, with whomever I want because, because God is love. Okay, that's, that's not in the Bible either. What we see is that the spirit of God is working in you. And if the spirit of God is not at work in your life, it's because you have not trusted God for your salvation. There's a whole movement. It used to be called, whenever I was a kid, the hyper grace movement, right? That you could just do whatever you want. But that's kind of gone out of style. And so they've reinvented itself with the new term deconstruction. It's the same lie with better marketing, We've come up with hashtags and, 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 and social media pushes. People say, well, you can't really talk about deconstruction because there's, there's not a leader. My friends, I know there's not a leader. You know why there's not an earthly leader? Because there's a demonic leader behind it, causing confusion and chaos within the hearts of people and within the church. And here's what they would say. It's about deconstructing the Bible to where eventually you get rid of all the things in the church and doctrine in the Bible that you don't agree with. All this stuff about homosexuality and abortion and, and, and transgenderism and, and war and self-defense. All this stuff about other religions and Jesus being the only way. Oh, that's just so outdated and antiquated. It just doesn't match what culture is. And so instead of agreeing with scripture, you try to change scripture so that way it agrees with culture and you end up with a book and a Bible and a faith that is foreign to what the word of God actually teaches. And what they'll say is the only sinful desire is to restrain yourself from pursuing those sinful desires. Instead of becoming like the, instead of escaping from the world, they will encourage you to become even more like the world. This is one of the biggest lies that is happening because they celebrate what God says to hate. They tolerate what God says we are to repent of and they reject the work of the divine power of God that is working in their lives. And if you go down the road of deconstruction so far of resisting the divine power working within you, you will be guilty of Mark chapter three, verse 18, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, which is the unforgivable sin. Listen, let me make this super clear for people is that there is no such thing as a gay affirming church. 
There is no such thing as a trans-affirming church. There is no such thing as gay Christians. There is no such thing as transgendered Christians. There is no such thing as a deconstructed Christian. Maybe a deconverted Christian masquerading, but there is no deconstructed Christian. There is no such thing as a pro-choice Christian. There is no such thing as a progressive Christian. There is no such thing as a woke Christian or a woke church. You are either pursuing holiness or you are guilty of heresy. You are either working with the Holy Spirit or you are actively working against the Holy Spirit. Either he works in you or you are working against him. Now, that's not to say that there aren't Christians who struggle with same-sex attraction. There are. But they're not out in the streets waving flags around. No, they're in the altars, and they're in small groups confessing and being strengthened. It's not to say that there aren't Christians that have, trans, uh, have gender dysphoria, but instead of transitioning, they're praying that they would be transformed into the image of God, not into this image of the world, by the renewing of their minds and instead of going under the knife and castrating their genitals, they submit to the Holy Spirit who circumcises their hearts. It's not to say that there are women in our church who have, in a moment of fear and panic, did the unthinkable, and they had an abortion, but they're not out rioting and protesting and using hashtags to be able to support of it. No, what they're doing is they're getting healing, and they're walking through that, and they will have a wonderful family reunion at home with that child, but they're not advocating for the murder of babies within our nation. You cannot tolerate that which God hates. And you cannot celebrate that which God tells us to repent of. And there's some people in the room at this point, I could just sense it, that you want to begin to argue and you say, oh yeah, well, I was born this way. Maybe, but you need to be born again. Yes. You say, but you know, God just wants me to be happy. Where'd you find that at? Second nowhere, 316? <laughs> it's not in here. It's not about your happiness. It's about your holiness. And the Holy Spirit has given you everything you need to live a life of godliness. And if you ain't living a godly life, it's because you ain't got the Holy Ghost. I'm just trying to tell you. I'm making it simple. You say, Pastor, I just don't know. I don't know. Listen, clarity is kindness. And I'm trying to be as kind as I can to make it as clear as I can. You've been deceived. You've been deceived. You say, but I can't change who I am. You know what? You're right. You can't change who you are, but the Holy Spirit can. You can't change who you are, but he can. He can change you from the inside out. He can renew your mind. He can give you strength. He can help you overcome sin and temptation. He can help you to live a brand new life. Listen, if you're here and you're like, I'm a Christian and I just can't change. You know what you are? You're an idolater. You know why? Because you think you're more powerful than God himself. You think your sin is more powerful than Calvary and the cross and the blood of Jesus. You think more about you than you think about God because God says he can change you and you're sitting there saying, I'm the exception. No, you're not. He can change you like he changed me, like he could change anybody. You got the divine power working in you or you're working against him. Listen, I understand because this is my story. 20-year-old, strung-out, punk rock kid. Man, my whole life was filled with just parties and drugs and alcohol and trying to sleep with as many girls as I possibly could. Like, that was my whole life. And I was what today would say woke. I was progressive. Before I met Jesus, I was an anarchist, agnostic. I was pro-abortion, pro-gay marriage, transgenderism, all the different things. And then I met Jesus and something began to happen. All of a sudden, my desires began to change. 
It didn't happen overnight, but it did happen over time. And over time, what happened was this, is that me and Ashley, we stopped living together and we started praying together. And we stopped sleeping together and we started having Bible studies with our friends. It's like, this is weird. All of a sudden, what's happening? I'm escaping the corruption of the world and its sinful desires and the Holy Spirit has placed new desires inside of my heart. Now, instead of resisting God, man, I am walking with him. And then all of a sudden, not just my behaviors changed, my beliefs began to change. Like the more I began to read this Bible, the more I began to realize that everything that I had believed was a lie and that this word is the truth. And some people are like, but I just don't believe that. Listen, God is God, eternal and true. This word has stood the test of time for generations and thousands of years. You did not even graduate junior college. Like, like, who are you to argue with God? And I begin to read it and open it up and I'm studying it and I just realize this, that I can't change this word. It's this word that changes me. And then I look up a year and a half later and all of a sudden my friends are Christians and I'm a Christian and my life looks completely different than it was the day that I met Jesus because when you meet Jesus, everything in your life begins to change. And I'm here to tell you, my friend, if you have met Jesus and been walking with him and nothing in your life looks any different, it's because you're not actually saved. God works for you and God works in you. Number three, God works in you. Look, look, God works with you. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, and with self-control, self-control, stead, uh, godliness and brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours, that's important, and they are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful to the knowledge of our Lord and Jesus Christ. But whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he has been cleansed of his former sins. Look at that right here, verse eight. It says, for if these qualities, if, that means some of you don't. If, you say, but, 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 but I'm just really, I just, I'm, I really have a, I'm just very passionate. Well, you can be passionate, you can still be wrong. Yeah. It's my sincerity. You can sincerely be wrong. He says, for if these qualities are yours. Right now, some of you are like, pastor, how dare you try to tell me that I'm not a Christian? Listen, I am not telling you you're not a Christian. Peter is. (laughs) I'm just the messenger. I'm just the messenger. So you need to take it up with the author. Because, Because when I just read my Bible, here's what I say. If you have a problem with it, you have a problem with God. See, Peter says that if you have these inqualities, praise the Lord. They're increasing. You're growing in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus. But if you don't have these qualities, you're ineffective and you're unfruitful. In layman terms, he's saying you're not saved. See, but you don't, you don't know my heart, pastor. Listen, I don't have to know your heart because I see your life. Say, but, 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 but it's, in my, it's in my heart. Yeah, but here he says that it would be evident in your life. Like, I, I get it. Like, I, I know. I, I, see, I see your Instagram bio says God, but I also know that your profile shows body. Don't match. What I, what I know is that some act one way at church, act totally different on Friday night. Yeah. 
Like, I know I don't post a lot on Twitter, but I have one. And you know, I see what you say, and so does everybody else, including your future employer, which might be the reason you don't have a job. <laughs> Look, here's what Peter is. He's the leader of the disciples. Like, like Peter, you're like, Peter's so mean. He's nothing like Jesus. Okay, listen, Peter was hand-selected and chosen by Jesus to be the future leader of the first church. Spent three years. If anybody knows Jesus, it's Peter. And he don't know this, you know, limp-wristed, weak-willed, drink chamomile tea, Jesus, that so many people are putting out there in our society. But Jesus is just so loving. Okay, let me, let me read what Peter is actually quoting. Here's, here's Jesus from the Sermon on the Mount. Every healthy tree bears good fruit, but a diseased tree bears bad fruit. If you're not bearing good fruit, you know what? Jesus just said, you are spiritually diseased. It's Jesus. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. And every tree that does not bear good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. You know what that means? You go to hell. That's Jesus' words. I know people get offended when I read the Bible in church. I'm sorry. (laughs) Jesus' words. If you're not producing fruit that is evident of repentance, Jesus will come back, chop you down, and throw you into the fire. Listen, it says like this. If you walk up to an apple tree, what's going to be on it? We live in a day and age where people are trying to pretend there's oranges on an apple tree. You're like, but I'm an orange in my heart. (laughs) No, you're an apple. You know how I know? Because I see apples, and sometimes I see the Adam's apple too. If the fruit is rotten, the problem is not the fruit. You know what the problem is? The problem is the root. The root is diseased, therefore you're spiritually diseased. The root is the disease. See, people think I have a sin problem. Listen, no, my friend, you do not have a sin problem. You have a heart problem that has manifested itself in sinful behaviors. It's not the behavior that gets you chopped down. It's the belief at the root of the behaviors. You don't have a sin problem. You have a, a heart problem, a heart that is yet to be surrendered to Jesus. So I, I think it's just total garbage when people are like, but, but God knows my heart. He does. And Jeremiah says, the heart is deceitful and wicked above all things. Who can know it? God knows your heart better than you do. And unless you get that heart fixed, we're going to have some problems when the Lord Jesus returns. I can feel the conviction in the room and the, the reaction. And I just want, I just want to lean over the plate and, and just maybe and say this is that it is possible for people to profess a faith they don't actually possess. Like there's a lot of people who are in church, but they are not in Christ. And that goes on both sides of the aisle, whether you're conservative or liberal progressive. There's religion and there's rebellion. On both sides of the aisle, there are people who profess a faith that they don't actually possess. It's possible. Give you an illustration, right? I know I'm your pastor, but y'all might not know this. I'm actually a professional ballerina. Come on. Did you know that? You say, no, I, I, don't, I didn't know that. Why? Well, you say, but Byron, I've never seen you do ballet. And I've, I've, never, I've seen you worship, and I know you ain't got no groove up here. <laughs> never, seen, never seen you do ballet. Well, I do ballet in my heart. Okay. 
What is possible is that people can say one thing and, and not be that thing. Just like some people can say they have fruit and actually have no fruit. It's possible for people to profess a faith that they don't actually possess. Listen, I know this is hard to hear, but hard words make soft hearts and soft words make hard hearts. And the same sun that melts the ice is the same sun that hardens the clay. And the reason we have so many soft Christians is because pastors for too long have preached soft and impotent words. You need to be understanding this, is that I don't say these things because I hate you. I say these things because I'm worried about you. I say these things because I care about you. I say these things because I am deeply concerned, not just for the church in America, but for us, for my church, for you, that there are people who call redemption home who do not have Jesus in their hearts. I'm concerned that there are people who are gonna go their entire lives and they're gonna fool themselves into thinking that they have a false assurance of salvation and then they close their eyes and they wake up in hell. And for some of you, this word is not just for you, but some of you, you're deceiving yourselves into thinking that your family or friends or spouses are actually saved and therefore you're not fasting and praying for them because you're just hoping that the decision they made when they were 12 was enough to get them into heaven. So you're not eager with evangelism. You're not sharing your faith because you're just like, well, they prayed a prayer, they're in. Listen, if they're not bearing fruit that's keeping with repentance, there's a problem. They may be professing a faith they don't actually possess. And because you have been lulled to sleep by the lies of this world, you are not on your knees fasting and praying and interceding for their salvation. You've deceived yourself, not only thinking you're saved, but that they are too. So how do we know if we're saved? It's a hard word. Well, is there any hope? Come back next week. How do we know if we're saved? Well, here's what we do know. Peter gives us eight signs of salvation. Here's the first thing is he starts by saying faith. Like, do you have faith? Not just, oh, I believe, but faith that walks out belief. You say, it's not, it's not wrong to have doubts. Like, don't hear me on that. The opposite of faith is not doubt. The opposite of faith is disobedience. It's knowing the right thing and then doing the opposite. Doubt your doubts and live by faith. The righteous shall live by faith. Number two, virtue. This is not who you pretend to be on social media where you're virtue signaling. This is your character, who you are when nobody else is watching. Do you have godly character? Number three, uh, knowledge. Not academic knowledge because there's a lot of heretics who can twist the Bible better than I can preach it. It's not about academic knowledge. It's about a personal knowledge. Listen, if I want to get to know my wife, I don't read a book. I have dinner with her. I spend time with her. Do you personally know Jesus through the spending of time in his word, in his presence, and through prayer? Do you have a knowledge of him that's increasing? Number four, self-control. This one is so important because we have Christians who are not living by faith, but being led by their feelings and their emotions. I feel, I feel, I feel. Well, in my opinion, I just think, I feel. God doesn't care about what you think. God doesn't care about what you feel. God doesn't care what your opinion is. He didn't ask you when he created the heavens and the earth. He didn't seek your counsel. No, God don't care about your feelings. God wants you to live out by faith, and that takes self-control. I'm teaching my six-year-old this right now. Just because you feel something doesn't give you permission to do it. 
You have to bridle the passions and demonstrate self-control. As Christians, do you have that ability? Or are you allowing your emotions just to lead you into every which way that you want to go? Number five, steadfastness. Like when hardships come your way, do you allow the suffering of life to give you permission to sin? Like, are you like, I'm a victim, therefore I get to do whatever I want. Or are you a victor who lives in confidence and conquering and you continue to stay steadfast and persevere despite whatever the outcome might be? Number eight, godliness. You know what being a Christian means? Like Christ. It literally means little Christ. Okay, does your life look like Christ or does it look like the world? Are you living according to godly ways or according to, to worldly ways? Have you, have you compromised areas that are Christian convictions and doctrine? Number seven, brotherly affection. You know how popular it is to criticize the church today and Christians? It's like anybody who starts a podcast or a blog can get thousands of followers instantly just because they say something negative about Christians. Everyone's like, yeah, let's just jump on and make fun of all these other people, right? Whenever I see people sharing comments, criticizing, destroying the church, you know what I think? I don't know if that person's saved. You know why? Because an evidence of salvation is brotherly affection. And so when we see our brothers hurting and doing wrong, we don't blast them all over social media. No, we go to them and we comfort, we talk to them, we help them, we point them in the right direction. But how popular it is for people to tear down pastors and churches and criticize. I know I'm already time, so I'll say it. Why people are like, you know what? Um, you know, Jesus I love, but your Christians I hate, for they are so unlike your Christ. You ever heard that saying? Okay, you know who, you know who said that? Wasn't a Christian. Mahatma Gandhi worshiper of demons, a pedophile, slept with little boys and allowed his wife to die because he denied her penicillin. And then a few years later, he took the penicillin so he could save his life. I'm not taking any spiritual advice from that man. I don't care how many Nobel Peace Prizes they gave. It's got doctrines of demons all over him. Not listening to it. And yet, because you don't know your Bible, you don't know your history and you don't know theology, you share that stuff readily. Therefore, not living out by faith. And number eight, love. Oh, finally, love. Finally got a burst, Pastor. This sermon is not very loving. It's not very loving. It's like, that's the only Bible verse progressive Christians know. Do not judge. God is love. And when people are like, well, God is love, all of a sudden we're like, oh, no. I guess you got me. God is also holy. And, and, the holiness of God is like a coin with two sides, love and wrath. And when something that you love is being destroyed, it's not loving to sit back and let that thing be destroyed. Right? right? And so, so because from the holiness of God, we, we see the love of God. People are like, this is not very loving. You should just let people do whatever they want to do. No, I don't let my kids play in the street. And be like, well, I love them. Just let them play in the street. I don't let you drive down a one-way street going the wrong way because I don't want to interrupt your process. I don't let you drink poison and be like, well, that's their decision. I'm just going to let them live their life. No, you know what I say? Because I love you. Stop. Repent. Turn around. Get out of the road. It's not going to end well for you. For churches and preachers who say God is love, they are just allowing people to go hell. That is not loving. That is the most hateful thing that you can do. If you love somebody, you tell them the truth. 
And so as Christians, these things should be evident by our lives that we live in. But there's, there's one more thing. Peter, Peter says this. He says, there's some Christians who are deceived. But then he, I have to take time and say this because it's so important. He says, for who lacks these qualities is nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. There are people who are deceived, believing lies. And then there are people who are distracted and wasting their life. What does he say? You're so short-sighted, you're blind, and you've forgotten that you've been cleansed of your sins. Listen, if the devil can't deceive you, he will distract you. How does he distract you? Oh, yeah, sure, you made a decision to follow Jesus, but what happened after you got your healing, after you got your salvation? What happened after you got your deliverance? What happened after you joined your small group and you learned a couple Bible verses? What happened? What happened? All of a sudden, you're like, thank you, Jesus. And then you got so busy in your everyday life, you forgot to look back and remember what Christ has done for you. How do, how, you're so deceived. You're not deceived. You're just distracted. You're like, I'm just going to work. I'm just raising my kids. I'm just, I, I'm just going on vacation, just getting a job, just getting a college education, just getting my degree. And then you doom scroll Instagram until three o'clock in the morning and you wake up too tired to read your Bible or to pray and you're too busy to go to small group. And all of a sudden, because you're so short-sighted looking at your phone and living through a screen, you've all of a sudden forgotten that you've been cleansed of your sins. And he don't care if you're deceived or distracted because you're fruitless and you're pointless and you're ineffective for the kingdom of God. How to let God work with you. You know what that means? You got to do life with him. Got to do life with him. And live the life that he created for you to live. Which leads to number four, God works on you. He works for you. He works in you. He works with you. And then he's working on you. Here's how he closes it. Therefore, brothers... Be more diligent to confirm your calling and election. That's what I'm trying to do today. I'm not trying to scare you, but to prepare you. I'm trying to wake you up and cause you to look in the mirror to confirm your calling and election. You would go to the doctor and you want the doctor to tell you the truth, right? When you do an annual checkup, you wouldn't want your doctor to be like, well, you're 300 pounds overweight. Looks great to me. No, you wouldn't let the doctor be like, well, I see some masses on your lungs. Not my problem. No, what do you want your doctor to do? To tell you the truth. Every year you go see a doctor for a checkup. Sometimes it's good for you to get a heart checkup. I almost called this sermon, don't, don't, you need to check yourself before you wreck yourself. Because some of y'all, it's been a long time since you've seen the great physician to get your annual checkup. Confirm your calling. If you're in the faith, praise God, you ain't got nothing to be offended about. And if you're mad, take it up with him. Because you might not be saved. I'm telling you the truth. He says, confirm your calling. If you practice these qualities, you never fail. People say, once saved, always saved. Can you lose your salvation or not? You know what? I don't really know, but I do know this. If you practice these qualities, you don't got to worry about it. And if you have lost it, it's because you probably never practiced these qualities and had it. If you practice these qualities, you will never fail. That's a, that's a promise. And if you don't practice these qualities, you ain't going to make it. So it's, it's the kingdom of God in the world that we live in. 
Confirm your calling and election. Therefore, I intend to always remind you of these things. You're like, how long is he going to talk about it? Always. Can't we preach on something else? Peter's like, ain't no time. We got to do this. I think it's right that as long as I'm in this body to stir you up by way of your reminder. Since I know that I will be putting off my body very soon as the Lord Jesus Christ has made it clear to me and I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able to recall these things. Here's what Peter's saying. I'm not gonna be around for much longer. He said, the world out there has now become in here and they're, they're not gonna let me live for much longer preaching the way I'm preaching. And in fact, after he wrote this last book that he wrote, he was arrested, beheaded, martyred for his faith. He died shortly after writing this book. It was the last thing that he ever wrote. And he's saying, guys, it's, there's not enough time for me to waste time. The time is short. And you know what's on this pastor's heart? It's the souls of his people, the health of his church, the salvation the hope inside of the believers that call his church home. I feel this with every fiber in my being. Like, I, I don't want anyone to perish, but like he's gonna say in chapter three, but all to have everlasting life. I don't want anyone in my church to be deceived and to think that they're going to heaven when they're actually not. I don't want anyone to give in to false teachers and slowly be led astray. What's on Peter's mind is what's on my mind is I wanna know, are you really saved? Have you given your life to Jesus? Have you surrendered yourself to him? Listen, the Christian life is not that you die and go to heaven. That's a lie. The Christian life is that you die and live a new life both now and forever. And that you grow to become like Jesus until the day that you actually meet him. This is known as the doctrine of sanctification. You're not gonna be perfect, but you are making some progress, being transformed and conformed into Jesus, making more like him every single day over the course of your life through repentance of sin, through confession, through Christian community, that you are growing more and more into the image of Christ Jesus. He's saying, I want to know, is God working on you? You're a work in progress but in order to be a work in progress, you gotta be making some progress in life. And here's, here's what I wanna say. As Peter talks about this eternal dwelling, entering into the eternal kingdom. As believers, here's what you need to know, is that heaven, not earth, is your home. Heaven, not earth, is your home. Like heaven is your future. This life is temporary. We're just passengers here. Like you're here today and you're gone tomorrow. What is life but breath in the wind? You're never guaranteed a future. You're never guaranteed tomorrow. This life is short, but hell is hot. Forever is a long time and everybody spends eternity somewhere. And my question is, are you gonna be with God in heaven? Because there's some people, they get all their heaven here on earth and they spend eternity in hell. And there's some people who go through a little bit of hell on earth and they spend eternity with him in heaven. Yeah. Heaven is your home, not this life. Not the short 80 years you get, maybe. I've done funerals for people younger than y'all. You're not guaranteed tomorrow five years from now, 10 years from now, all you know is today. 
And the prophet Isaiah would say this, today, if you hear the word of God, do not harden your hearts, for today is the day of salvation. Not tomorrow, not five years from now, not 10 years from now, not when you get a job, not when you get married, not when you get divorced, not when you get that house, not when you graduate, not when you retire. Today is the day, for you are never guaranteed tomorrow. Heaven is your home. And I know the implications of this sermon because here's what it's gonna mean for some of you. It means you're gonna have to unravel your entire life. If you're here and you're in a homosexual relationship, you're gonna have to figure out how to get a legal divorce and split up them kids. You have a choice, what are you gonna do? Be obedient to the word of God? Or reject and walk away? I know what this means. This means some of you are going to lose friends. You're going to lose family members. We have people in our church who are currently being shunned by their family because of the decision to follow Jesus. It means some of you, you're going to have to break up with your non-believing boyfriend. Today, I'll give you a minute. You know why? Because he will never love you the way that Jesus wants you to be loved through his word. Like a husband laying down his life for his bride, like Jesus laid down his life for his church. And if you do, you will, you will never receive the, 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 the love in that marriage the way that Jesus says you're worthy of being loved by a man. This means that some of you means you're going to have to move out of your girlfriend's house. Ladies, let him go. Say, but it's so expensive. Holiness normally is. Yeah. Say, but, but you know, we just can't afford it. Well, does he have a friend he could sleep on the couch with? No. If a guy cannot afford an apartment and he doesn't have any friends, he's probably not a guy you should be marrying. He's not a first round draft pick, amen? <laughs> I know what the implications are, but you know what the alternative is? You forsake eternity for just a little bit of life right now. How foolish are you to do that? This life is so short. You're here today, you're gone tomorrow. Eternal life, it has no end. Would you rather to have just a little bit of fun here and to miss out on the wonder and the beauty and the splendor and the joy of what God has for you in the future? Heaven, not earth, is your home.